This is George Plaster, and for the very best in sports, keep your dial on 101.7 FM WKOM. You're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning, the show where you gain clarity and understanding about such things as last will and testament, the probate process, trusts, and how not to lose everything you own to the high cost of the nursing home. Now here's your host, Estate Plan Stan. Hey, hey, good day to you. Good day to you on this July the 22nd, 2023. You are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning with your host, Estate Plan Stan. I am Stan Perchowski with Perchowski Estate Law, Perchowski Elder Law, located on the square in beautiful downtown Pulaski, Tennessee. Bulletproof Estate Planning, as you know or don't know, is the show where we talk about all things estate planning. So basically, if it has anything to do with estate planning, we talk about it. So we talk about things like powers of attorney, uh, uh, last will and testament. We talk about revocable living trust, irrevocable living trust, special needs trust, asset protection or creditor protection trust. And we talk about 10 care planning, either pre-planning or crisis planning, which crisis planning is where we're talking about now. As always, I encourage questions. So this show is about education, and the emphasis is on education, about what your options are. So if you have a question, you can call me at my office. That number is 931-363-7222. That's 931-363-7222. Or you can go to my website at Estate Plan Stand. That's Estate, E-S-T-A-T-E, PlanStand.com. There you can find my email and ask that way. Or you can schedule one of my 15-minute phone calls. Uh, those are nice because uh, then you're, you're, my time is dedicated to you. I always enjoy doing this show here on Front Points Radio, WKOM, 101.7 FM out of Columbia, Tennessee. And I'd like you to know that if you like the show and you, you listen to me on Saturday nights, all my episodes are posted as podcasts on the WKOM website. So if you ever miss one, or you just want to go back and review a topic and start and stop and you know, let it sink in, it's all there for you to do so. So take advantage of that. All right, let me go over seminars coming up. Uh, the next seminar coming up is soon. It's July the 29th, which will be a week from today, as a matter of fact. And it's a Saturday, and it's at 10 o'clock in the morning, and it's going to be on the square in Pulaski at the Star Theater. Star Theater stands for Southern Tennessee Area Arts Repertory, um, and it's actually the building that's right beside my office. My office is right on the square, and the theater's right to the other side of me, and that's where it's going to be. It's a nice big venue. Uh, we have plenty of room to spread out, and tables, chairs, and uh, you know, get to business and talk about stuff. So if you want to come to it, if you haven't been to one of my live seminars, you might want to consider it. Uh, people love them. They re- give me great reviews, uh, so they get a lot out of it, especially when they're live. I uh, you know, we have recorded version of it, but people tell me it's just not the same. <laughs> you know, one, you can look at the PowerPoint, and the other one, you don't get the privilege of watching me stand there and talk, I suppose. But <laughs> but I do get great reviews, and I, I appreciate that, and I'm very humbled by that. And so, um, uh, you know, Saturday the 29th, 10 a.m., Tr- Will's Trust in the Nursing Home is the name of the seminar, at the Star Theater in Pulaski. The address of that is 105 
North 1st Street, Pulaski, Tennessee. Call my office at 931-363-7222 to get on the RSVP list, and we'll have a chair waiting for you. You'll bring as many people as you want. You know, the the sign-up is informal. Just, uh, you know, I, I just like a head count, so we have enough tables and chairs. But if you want to bring your significant other, I certainly encourage that because uh, they you both need to hear this. If you want to bring mom along or one of the kids, feel free to do so. Just give me an idea how many seats you're going to need, and we'll have them waiting for you. we got plenty of room to spread out at the theater. Uh, the ones we do here and the ones we do in Lawrenceburg, we have a lot of, a lot of room. So, All right, that's the seminar. Uh, I want to go over a couple of things that went on this week that uh, I think are pertinent to what our discussion is at, at this particular time. And, you know, we... Here we've been. What we've been talking about is this crisis planning. We've been here for a couple of weeks now, and this crisis planning is this concept of somebody's already in care, and now we're worried about what we're going to do about all our stuff and how we're going to save everything we own. So you know, it's, it becomes a concern, and that's what we're talking about. Uh, we, we've gone over quite a few things last week and the week before. We kind of started off with some of these basic strategies, the really simple fundamental stuff, which really amounts to a simple consumer exchange, fair market value. You know, we take a countable asset like money in the bank and we buy something that's non-countable with it. Or something that's non-countable is personal property. So, you know, let's say we could take some money and upgrade our appliances or upgrade our home. Uh, quite a few different things. We buy a new car. You know, we're entitled to have one car is considered non-countable. Anything over one car is is considered countable. So, you know, keep in mind that everything we do in the grand scheme of things is we're going to take these countable assets that they're holding us to. Remember, they said we can only have $2,000, no more than $2,000 of countable assets. So our goal is to have less than $2,000 of countable assets, but at the same time have hundreds of thousands or as much as we want of non-countable assets. So if that's the case, we need to convert countable to non-countable. And that's what we've been talking about. That's what these strategies do in their simplest distillation of, 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 of format. So um, like I said, we start off with some of the really simple ones, and we can move some money that way, but it's not a, they're not really designed to uh, preserve a ton of wealth. I think the example was you can buy a whole bunch of new furniture if you want to upgrade or new appliances. But if your goal is to save the money so you can leave it to your heirs, like leave it to your kids, well, that's not the best thing to do because, you know, you're leaving them secondhand furniture and secondhand appliances, and that's not much of a wealth transfer there in the first place. So, But it's just, these strategies were okay if you need it. So if you go into a nursing home, and remember, I always pick on the husband. So if the husband goes into the nursing home and the wife who lives at home, who's not in care, could use a new refrigerator, a new dishwasher, a new cooktop or something because the other ones are ancient and don't work half the time, uh, that might not be a play, bad place to spend some money because we're not doing it to wealth transfer, but we are doing it to enhance the quality of life of the, of the not the surviving spouse, of the uh, community spouse, the healthy spouse that's still at home. So, you know, that's what this whole concept of what we're doing is. Now, we're going to start embarking on to some... Uh, more complicated or more advanced strategies, but in re, you know if you want to distill it down to its simplest form, we're still just converting countable to non-countable. So I want to go over two things. One of them I've 
kind of forgot, but it'll come back to me. <laughs> you know, have my own senior moment there. You got to write this stuff down sometimes to remember. But the, one of them is this. I got a, got contacted by one of my trust clients. Uh, let me back up a little bit. And that is a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago, actually, we talked about this 10 care planning, but we talked about the concept of pre-planning, meaning what can I do now? I'm not in the nursing home. My wife is not in the nursing home. We're not really headed there just yet. We're still pretty healthy. We're just worried that if anybody ever does go into long-term care, how do we protect our stuff from going to the cost of care? So that's what we call pre-planning. So, uh, and uh, we talked for a couple of weeks about the only real tool that's available pre-planning is the income-only asset protection trust. And that is a great tool. But that tool needs five years to materialize because, remember, we did say that when you move your property into an asset protection trust, that is a divestment. And they're going to look for all divestments over the last five years of when you went in the nursing home. So it's going to be subject to the five-year rule, and it's going to create a penalty period if we don't clear the five years. But it is a tool we use when we are healthy and not in the nursing home and not heading there. If that's the case... We can put this stuff in trust, and hey, statistically, the five years is going to be in the bag, right? I mean, I know something can happen at any time, like a stroke or get hit by a bus. I get that. But statistically, you know, if we are put this in while we're still basically healthy, we're going to have about a 95% chance of clearing this five years just by sheer statistics. And that's what the trust is really designed to do. Now, when we talked about the trust, I gave I went over an example about a gal, real-life scenario, if you remember. And if you don't remember, uh, you know, here on WKOM, these, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, these these pod, or these um, episodes that I do are all saved as podcasts on that website. So don't remember what the week was, but it probably in the little description there, it'll talk about, uh, you know, the Income Only Asset Protection Trust. And so you can go back there and review that if you want to look at this example. But briefly, I'll summarize. We have an example, and this was a real-life example of a gal who opened up this trust, moved a lot of money into it, about 700000 And we talked at length that her goal in doing that is put the property in this trust, and the goal is stay out of the nursing home for five years, right? You might say easier said than done, but, but basically, again, if we want to look at the simplest distillation of what the goal is, it is that. Put money into a trust, that's a divestment, so now stay out of the nursing home for five years. If you do... Everything in that trust is forever protected. Because we're past the five-year rule, now we're in an asset protection trust, so we're, we are have escaped estate recovery after death as well. So we got the best of all worlds if we can clear that five years. But I brought up the question that most people will ask me, and they'll say, okay, I get the idea, Stan. I get the idea that we're supposed to stay out of the nursing home for five years. But what if, and man, I'm in the what-if business, right? What if... I don't make the five years. Suppose I move all my stuff into this trust and I don't make it. Well, that was that example. The, the name of the, the person was Mary and she put her property into a, an asset protection trust. And unfortunately for her, after three years, she had a massive stroke that was paralyzing. It was pretty bad news. And she ended up in long-term care for the rest of her life. And the question is, what happens? Are we screwed? I mean, are we just SOL because we... Um, didn't make the five years? And the answer in that case was no, because what we did was we were able to use other assets to get us to five years. So we kind of private paid for two years. Remember, we were three into it when she had the stroke. 
We private paid for two years to get to five. Then we filed the application so that when they look back five years, they won't see the transfer to the trust. If we'd have filed it at three years, well, they'd have seen it, right? And that's what we, so that's the way we make that work. Now, the example I want to bring up to you now is I got contacted by a client of mine that did one of my asset, income only asset protection trusts. And she was single. And I just I got contacted and said, hey, uh, from one of their children, that mom had to go into the nursing home, and you know they, you know they, they want to know if there's anything they can do. Uh, you know we had we went into this trust, and we did the trust like just about two years ago. So I went and I looked at the trust, and that's right, just short of two years ago. But let's say two years ago is when we did the trust. Now, what we do? Okay, it's not. I think I said about the example I did with Mary in a couple episodes ago that typically. Ideally, we want to be a little bit past the halfway point. So, And I say typically around three years. And the reason I say around three years is because that's usually where the analysis or the number crunching will come up with the result to stay with the trust. But in this case, you know, the question was brought to my attention. I did the analysis. And it doesn't look like the best scenario is the private pay for three years. Okay, It's going to get into a lot of money. The assets are not, we don't have enough assets to do that. So that's not going to be the solution. So Again, the question arises, what, now what, right? Uh, if we can't stay with the trust, was all this for naught? All right, well, the answer to that is no. There, there's still options. The trust didn't work, so that's, you know. And again, remember, the trust takes five years. If, we don't, if something happens and we don't have the five years, look at it this way. It's, not everything's in the, in the dirt. It's just that that tool is no longer the best tool for us. That's the best tool if we can stay out of the home for five years, right? So, okay. So what we're going to do in a situation like that, or like the one at hand, is we're going to back out of the trust that we did because all these were divestments two years ago. So we sh- if we file a 10-care application now, I mean, what's the point? I mean, we know we're going to get, they're going to say, okay, everything you put in that trust is countable to us. Okay. And this is where I'm Tying the two together. You know, we've been talking about countable assets and converting them to non-countable. Well, technically, when we put them in the trust and divested ourselves of them, they were considered, they, they are now non-countable. The problem is they're going to be subject to the look-back rule because unlike the examples we've talked about in the last week or two, we didn't just trade money for an asset. We trade money for an asset. There's no gift involved, right? It's a quid quo pro, a value for value exchange, or what they call fair market value, arm's length exchange. When you put it in the trust, you just give it to the trust. The trust doesn't pay you for it. So it's a gift. So it is a non-countable asset, but they're not going to. They're not going <laughs> to. They're not going to tell us you're denied because you're over resourced. They're going to say. Okay, you're you moved into a trust. You're approved. We're just going to impose a penalty period for the value of what you've done, and that's what makes it not the best tool to stick with when we're too early in it. So what we're going to do is we're going to back out of it. So all these assets are now going to become countable again. We're going to go back, we're essentially going to rewind in time to when we didn't put anything in the trust, and that's okay because we've, we're making the decision the trust is not the tool. If I remember right, this individual that was um, of relatively advanced years, and I have said over and over again that if you come to me and you're in advanced years and maybe have some health issues, all we can do 
is take a wait-and-see approach with the Asset Protection Trust. Can you stay out for five years? I don't know. Let's wait and see. But I do know if the, if we come to the conclusion and say, well, I'm surely going to go into the nursing home before then, and three years go by and we're still not there, we're sure going to be kicking ourselves for not have doing it, you know, not have done the Asset Protection Trust because we don't know. It's worth taking the chance. The upside is so much, it's worth doing the trust and just taking a stab at see how far we can get into it. Because if we do make it past the three-year mark, we can probably salvage the trust. If we make it to the five-year mark, we have salvaged everything in that trust. So, if you know, if and again, if we if we back out of it, now we have all these assets that are accountable. And now we're in crisis mode, right? Because the, the, the Asset Protection Trust is a pre-planning tool. So now we're in, so what I like to tell people is say, look, don't panic. You know, because first they say, we did this Asset Protection Trust. We didn't make it five years. Now what? We're stuck. No, we're going to back out of it, revoke the irrevocable trust, which you can do, and kind of flip the switch and go into crisis planning mode. So we're kind of in a position had we never done the trust at all, right? That's kind of where we are. I don't like to be in that position because the trust is such a powerful tool. But if circumstances present it and make it unusable, then they do. I mean, I'm not in charge of the circumstances and stuff happens all the time, right? And we just have to deal with it. So this is kind of a contingency and this is how we deal with the situation where we do the trust, we hope for the best, we try to stay out for five years, but something happens a little too early on or too early on to be... for the assets to support staying with the trust, right? So here we are. And uh, uh, that fits right into what we're talking about because now what we're doing for this individual is all these assets are backed out of the trust and now we're going to try and figure out ways to change them from countable to non-countable, to protect them, to become a protected asset. So that's the goal. I mean, it's the same as what we've been talking about. And I thought that was a good example of something to go over because, you know, that happens. As compared to if you make the five years and then you go in the nursing home, now the only thing we're faced with dealing with is whatever assets we did not put into the Asset Protection Trust. Those are exposed. But that's usually a very small percentage of the overall estate, right? Because the estate, I mean, the trust would have had the uh, real estate in it, the investment accounts, all those big ticket items. They're forever clear if we hit the five years. So... But we also said with an irrevocable trust like this, we don't want to put everything into it because we want to be able to access some property like our income, our Social Security, maybe some money we want to keep out to travel with, stuff like that. Now all we have to deal with is what we kept out of the trust, which is a small percentage, and it always resides in the form of just money in the bank somehow. Cash money, checking account, savings account, CD account, Edward Jones account, either way, those are easy to preserve at the last minute. So that's why we do it. That's the strategy that's involved. So uh, uh, that's what we're going to start talking about. You know, the uh, first break is coming up here, so I'm going to have to take it before we get started. So, hey, stay with me here on Bulletproof Estate Planning. You're listening to your host, Estate Plan Stan. And when we get back, we're going to take up some of these more advanced or more complicated strategies. See you in a couple minutes.
Hello, WKOM and WKRM listeners. My name is Michael Parks Lawrence at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC in Columbia, Tennessee. Parks Motor Sales was founded by my grandfather, Robert Parks, and my great-grandfather, Julian Mays, in 1958, over 60 years ago. Being family-owned and operated, we invest in our community. You'll see our support everywhere you go. Schools, sports, band, and even charities. We invest in our community because we live here and we love this community. Come see me and my cousin, Robert Rogers, at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC right off Nashville Highway or visit us at parksmotorsales.com. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. Have you been hauling your own garbage to the convenience center? Are you tired of doing it? Does your work schedule keep you from hauling it off regularly? Is your teenage son not taking it off like he promised when he got his driver's license? Do you have something better to do on Saturday? If any of these questions strike home to you, call the Garbage Man at 931-540-0919 and your problem will be solved. Do you suffer from knee pain? Is it painful to walk or perform your day-to-day activities? If so, we have great news at the Dr. Gill Center. We can relieve your knee pain fast and easy with no downtime and no surgery. The FDA has approved a new non-surgical treatment for knee pain, and it's covered by most major insurance, including Medicare. This treatment has helped millions of people across the nation. Call today to see if you qualify for a free consultation and get back to a pain-free life. 615-551-9224. People often ask about the initials after mine and Monty's names. Those initials are CFP, Certified Financial Planner. As a CFP, we will do our best to help you in the attainment of your financial goals while protecting those assets with proper insurance coverage. We encourage the team approach of holistic financial planning by working alongside your CPA and attorney. This is Gay Pike with Caledonian Financial in historic downtown Columbia. Let's make a plan. Securities and investment advisory services offered through NBC Securities Incorporated. Member FINRA and SIPC. Farmer Johnny here, Taylor Family Farm. I want to give you all a little look-see. We raise 100% non-GMO, grass-fed beef, pasture chicken, and pork on our family farm. Everything that we grow is raised with love and care to ensure the highest quality and nutrition for our family and customers. You can shop online at taylorfamilyfarmtn.com or visit our farm store in person at Etheridge, Tennessee at 301 Dave Reisner Road. That's taylorfamilyfarmtn.com for more information. This is Trip Stoltz with Columbia Ace Hardware. I love listening to 101.7 WKOM-FM, Columbia, Tennessee. Right. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back to Bulletproof Estate Planning. And you are listening to your host, Estate Plan Stan. And we're going to continue on with this crisis planning uh, and some of these strategies we use to convert countable assets 
to non-countable assets. And before I do, there's just something I want to go over because this may be in some people's minds. I doubt it, but it could be. And I want to set I want to set the record straight. Um, you know, had somebody come in here one time and say, you know, they were, um, you know, they were talking to some other attorney and they didn't get very good answers. And, uh, actually, I want to go over two situations. I got a call where somebody called me and wanted to, to do this kind of planning, this asset protection planning. And they said they talked about five different attorneys and all of them said, you know, now there's not much you can do. You just have to deal with probate or you, you, long-term care. They're going to get everything you got and uh, or whatever. And they came when they came across me, either through the radio show or somebody else who watched the radio show, um, they said, you know, we, we really like what you talk about because you're giving us hope. You're talking about ways we can do it. Now, had somebody come in and say they talked to an attorney, actually somebody I know and relatively local, but we'll keep the names out of it, that actually told them that, and, and they said, you know, uh, dad or mom was in the nursing home, and it's like, what can we do? And this attorney told them, he said, there's nothing you can do. He said, you have to pay the nursing home, and you have, if you have money, you have to pay them with that money. And when that money's gone, then you'll qualify for 10 care because the person will be broke, and then they'll pay for their care. And then they told me that this attorney said, well, look, there's this guy on the radio that says he can do something, but whatever he's doing is probably illegal, and I wouldn't recommend it because there's nothing you can do. Now, I don't know why I let that kind of stuff hurt my feelings, but it kind of does. But I want to make it clear to everybody listening to me. And if it's not, if you have been listening to me any length of time and you hear me quote statute and you hear me quote rule, I do not do anything illegal. I'll tell you right now, I, I worked hard for my law license and I'm very proud of it. And I'm not about to throw it away because to get clients because I want to do something you can't do. Everything I do, every single thing I do is founded in law. I mean, we got the Medicaid Act. We got the Ten Care Act where the state of Tennessee adopted the Medicaid Act. We got the Deficit Reduction Act of 2006, the, the, the Catastrophic Illness Act. We got all kind of law that gives us tools of what we can do. None of this is my original thinking. Um, I mean, you know, and in reality, before 2006, we could do a whole lot more. We're actually now hamstringed because of the Deficit Reduction Act, but we're, the things we can still use, we can still use. And they're all founded in statute, law. I uh, talked a little bit last week about the common law. All these things are, are firmly embedded into our jurisprudence. They are all 1,000% legal. I don't do anything illegal. I don't hide assets. Hide is a f dirty four-letter word. Everything we do is full disclosure, and we tell we re report everything we do to Ten Care. They see it all. You know, it's not like we 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 do something that can't be done. This this comment comes from this other attorney out of a out of a position of sheer ignorance. I mean, it can be nothing else. I mean, the law's there. If you go read it, maybe he know that it is legal, but they don't bother to put in the time. They don't they don't go the distance. They don't. Uh, it's complicated. And most of them don't want to do anything complicated. They just want people to come in and pay them. And if you ever dealt with an attorney, um, typically the way it works is you go in there, they go out of their way and bend over backwards for you to hire them. Then after you hire them, it seems like you suddenly take a back seat to everybody else. They're bending over backwards to get to hire them. You saw become a second-class citizen and they'll get around to talking to you when they want to. Not all of them, but, you know, if you've had any experience, that's the way it is. I mean, 
I'm, I mean, I'm a one-man show, and I don't do that. And the reason I'm a one-man show is because I guess you could say I don't play well with others. And I just do my thing. I march to my drum, and my drum is to get this word out to people that you have these options because everybody else is telling you there's nothing you can do. You are just S-O-L, shut up and pay the money. And just suck it up like the rest of us. We're all in this together. I mean, I, I've heard it and I've heard it until I'm sick of hearing it. So what do I do? I give seminars. I give radio shows. I, I try to get the word out. I, I, I'm probably not making a very big dent in things, but I'm doing, I'm doing what I can do as a little one-man show. So if you're, if you're listening to me and you're interested in this, I would like to tell you right now, I don't do anything illegal. I don't do anything under the table. I'm completely above board. So hopefully that gives you some comfort of what I do. But if you are somebody that wants me to do something below board or not entirely legal, uh, don't call. Don't call because I won't. Um, I'm, that's not what I'm about. I'm about working within the rules and and, and you know, let me just say this. We have rules. We have procedure. We have this stuff. I think the better position is to master these rules and know and understand them inside and out because I can get pretty darn creative with these rules and make them work for a lot of circumstances that are what I consider to be pretty outside the box. And that's what makes us so successful. Uh, again, we're not doing anything we can't do. If we, if you know, and think about it. If I did anything I couldn't do, TenCare would call me on it, wouldn't they? Or they just wouldn't accept what we did, and then the client would be not eligible or denied, and it would be my fault for not doing it right. So it's, there's a bit of a check and balance there. And, uh, you know, for anybody who's listened to me and think, well, this, well, here's what you might think. When people hear me talk about this stuff, a lot of times they think to themselves, this is too good to be true. I've heard from everybody I talk to. I heard from my barber. I heard from my neighbor. I heard from this attorney I talked to who's a friend of mine. There's nothing can be done. And now all of a sudden there's somebody saying that something can be done. It's too good to be true. Well, you know, all I can ask you to do then is be open-minded enough not to close the door on it just yet. The reason it sounds too good to be true is because you've never heard of it before. You've been poisoned with this attitude there's nothing to be done. Now, where that comes from and how it keeps getting proffered, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's it's certainly beneficial to the long-term care industry for you not to know what your options are. I, but I'm not saying they're the one they're behind it by any means. I just think over the years, these horror stories that you hear of people not knowing what they can do and thereby and thereby doing nothing get taken for everything they own and. I get it all the time with my trust clients that come in here and do the income-only asset protection trust. I say, you know, my mom went in the nursing home, or my grandma was in the nursing home. They took everything she owned, or she had to pay everything she owned, and we don't want that to happen to us. So, anyway, I didn't mean to spend that much time on it, but, uh, you know, it really kind of, you know, when people say that, I go to a lot of effort to, to reach folks and reach the public and let them know they have these offered. And when somebody just makes that kind of a off-the-cuff attitude with no knowledge whatsoever of what I do or why I do it, just because they don't they don't see what I do, then it can't be done, right? I, I, I It just kind of makes me feel bad. So, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're talking to somebody and you say, hey, I can do this. And they say, well, I never heard of such a thing before. It's like, okay, so it can't be true because you never heard of it, right? I mean, that's just so close-minded. Uh, if you don't, if you haven't heard of it, 
you know, I'm the kind of guy, if I hadn't heard of it, I'm the first one to say, well, I haven't heard of that. Tell me about that. Is this something I don't know? Is this something I should know if I don't know it? Is it something I can use? If I overlooked this and didn't catch it, well, shame on me, but I'm going to know it now, and I'm going to know it from now going forward. That's the my, uh, mindset I think you need to have. So don't, if you think it's too good to be true, try to get past that. Listen to what I have to say. If you think, if you want me to tell you where in the law we can do this, I'm more than happy to do it. More than happy. Call me on it. Don't take my word or anybody else's word. Always make sure it's founded in fact and founded in law. It's kind of like your scriptures, you know, uh, when you're, when somebody's telling you, don't let this man or any other man tell you what scriptures say. Read it for yourself and back it up with what the other scriptures say and, and, and make sure what the, it's truth and go with that. So in this case, same thing. Uh, we found everything in the law that's available to us. All right, with that being said, let's move on. So we were talking about these different strategies. Now we're going to move into some other strategies. You know, so far, what we've pretty much talked about, you know, mainly we rely on these simple consumer transactions for fair market value for the conversion of a countable asset to a non-countable asset, right? So now we're going to talk about some different ones, ones that aren't just so straightforward. It's not just take money in the bank that's countable and buy something with it. Now, let me back up a little bit. Yeah, you, you were, we're going to take money in the bank and buy something with it, but it's not going to be something like tangible personal property, like apply, an appliance upgrade, new clothes, a new car, a uh, new addition to the house, stuff like that. We're going to do something a little more creative with it so that we do have wealth to transfer to our children. You know, if you're going to buy all new furniture with it and then put in your will, I leave all my furniture to my kids, I mean, they're going to be kind of pissed. I mean, they're... That's not much in the way of wealth, right? Thanks for all the secondhand furniture, Dad. But, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, that's so, okay, we don't want to do that. We want to leave them some real wealth, uh, of course, when we're done with it. You know, I, I, I got to tell you this. Um, I got three kids, and I've made it clear to them. I said, you know, hey, look, you guys are, you can have everything I have. Although your mom and I are going to use it first, right? In our retirement years, we're going to live a pretty good life. I mean, I'm not leaving. I'm not living a meager life just so your inheritance is bigger. Uh, your mom and I are going to use it first. Whatever's left over at our deaths, hey, it's all yours. You know, help yourself. But like I said, let's not have any expectation that I'm going to be choking down frank franks and beans just so you have a big fat inheritance. Not that way. I do want to provide for you, but <laughs> it's a little self-serving, right? All right, so. Let's talk about what we call unavailable or non-sellable assets. Okay, these are assets. These are a specific category of assets. Remember I said, you know, I keep going back to the same basic fundamentals. Remember I said the 10 Care Act deals with countable assets and says you can only have $2,000 of countable assets. Well, countable is a category of assets. Remember I've heard that. I said that many times already. So now we're going to talk about some other categories. I mean, non-countable is a group of categories, really. Uh, anything not countable is non-countable, right? So uh, we're going to start talking about a couple categories are unavailable and or non-sellable assets. Now, these are kind of things where, you know, if, if you think of it in terms of all assets in which a person has either full ownership or maybe a partial or joint ownership uh, at stake in the asset, it's presumed to be countable under the law, right? So the presumption, but that, you know, the presumption is rebuttable. I said you can rebut the presumption. If you don't rebut it, it carries the day. But 
you can certainly argue that it's not a countable asset. But to do that, you know, you gotta you gotta move into you gotta establish proof. You know, you gotta use the state eligibility requirements to to show and convince them that it actually is a non-countable asset, and therefore it's of a protected a protected resource because if it's non-countable. It's not countable, and countable is the only one that is what we call available, okay? Available for cost of care. So let's talk about unavailable assets. The, the, the way they typically come up is certain kind of joint ownership. So you can have a joint ownership of an asset, and you can establish it um, where maybe it can't be liquidated unless all the other joint owners are on board with the sale. So... I mean, now this is the, now you heard me talk about joint ownership before, and what I'm talking about now is different than when we have or established joint ownership um, of a bank account. Okay, in, in, a lot of times people will open up a bank account with you know the bank of whoever, and say, you know what, I'm going to make my son a co-owner. I mean, if you're married, you and your wife are co-owners of a bank account, probably, and. Uh, but let's say you want to make your son in a, in a, a co-owner of it. Let's say you're single and you have a child, and you say, I'm going to make him a co-owner. Now, when you do that, that you can't say, well, half this money is my son and half is mine, and therefore, in order for you, me to use it for, for care, I need his permission to take my half out. And it doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work that way because... And we talked about this in a previous episode. When when you put a joint ownership in a bank account, you as joint owners, you are considered to have access to all of it. The joint owner is considered to have access to all of it. So if, let's just play this out. If you've got $100,000 in a bank account, and I'm an owner, and so is my oldest son. If I want to take the $100,000 out, I can go there right now. Fill out a withdrawal slip and say, how much is in my account? And they go, exactly, $100,000 and zero cents. I say, okay, I'm writing a check for $100,000, and I want to exhaust the account with that. I'm going to take it all out. Well, they, 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 won't, they won't say, no, you can't do it. They won't say, oh, wait a minute, your son owns some of that. You can't do it. No. They'll look to see that it's a joint account. They'll recognize my authority to do that, and they will cash the check. And I'll walk out of there with $100,000. Now, did I screw my son over? Well, I don't know. If some of the money was actually a contribution of his, maybe, but not legally. Because most people just put, most people, it's all their money. They just put their son on there because they think they're going to escape, you know, long-term care. But now, did you screw your son out of it? No, because your son could walk, could have walked in the day before and said, how much money's in there? Oh, exactly $100,000 and zero cents. And he could have taken it all out. And if it was a situation where he, you just made him owner, he hadn't he hadn't contributed anything, he can do that, and the bank's not going to stop him. You're both owners; you both own all of it, so you have access to all of it at any given time. And I told you that in a ten care eligibility scenario, they're going to you have a joint owner account. They're going to say, "How much can you get at?" And the answer has to be, "Well, I actually can get at all of it." They're going to say, "Okay, then we're going to consider all of it countable." Now you might say, "But well." My son actually did contribute half of it. Well, they'll say, if your son can put on compelling proof that half of that actually is his, then we'll only consider half your your part countable. Again, a tough road to hoe, and 99% of the time, it's not that way. It's you, the, Somebody just put them on there to see if they could salvage the property. But there are some assets that you can own jointly, 
that tie up the ownership. All right. Let's take, for a simple example, something like a stock certificate. And let's say you and your son own a stock certificate. Now, the stock certificate does, of and by itself, it requires both or, or all joint owners, if you own it with more than just you and your son. It requires all the joint owners to consent to the liquidation. I mean, again, if it, let me make it clear. If the joint owner is a spouse, then the issue is like a non-issue because um, you know, all, all assets by either spouse are considered jointly held, right? We talked about that. But we're talking about a non-spouse. If you, if you have a, an asset that's joint ownership with a non-spouse and it represents an undivided percentage of that asset, well, then the asset's ownership structure makes it ripe for protection from ten, for a 10-care spend-down. Because the way we protect it is if, if, if the instrument requires the other owner's consent to make it available, how can it be available to you if he doesn't consent to the sale? So, okay, you got it. They say, listen, we're, that's available. You got to use that money to pay us. Okay, son, I'm going to cash in my half of the stock certificate so I can pay the nursing home. Well, dad, I'm not going to agree to that sale. And you need my consent to do that. So now I go back to the nursing home and say, listen, he won't agree to it. I don't have it to give you. I can't get at it. It's unavailable. I want to sell it. I will sell it. I just can't do it without his consent, and he has refused to, to give it. All right, that makes it unavailable. Now, there are several things like that. Um, uh, stock certificates are a classic example. You, can make, you, you can't make a bank account do that, but you can make other financial accounts be that way. Uh, it's classic when we have LLC interest that we put into a trust. And yeah, the, I mean, I haven't got to this, but but the answer is yes, we can put your LLC into an asset protection trust. We sure can. But now, let's say you're a 50% owner and we put it in. Can we do that? Certainly. We can put, your, we can put what you own in it, right? <laughs> uh, we can't put what we don't own into it, but we can put what we own into it. So I'll pick up with that when we come back after the break, because that's going to take me a little longer than the time I have left. So this joint ownership can work for us. It just it really depends on the kind of asset. And when we come back and I continue with it, it's really going to depend on when. Okay. So um, uh, it's a pretty cool strategy. We can we can use it. But um, listen, we are coming up on break number two. So I want you to stay with me here on bulletproof estate planning. Uh, I'm your host, Estate Plan Stan, and when we get back, we're going to pick up where we left off on these changing countable assets to non-countable assets. So we'll be back right after this. Do you have a loved one who's either in long-term care or going to be soon? Are you worried about losing everything you own, everything that you've worked for your entire life? If so, we can still do crisis planning and protect the majority of your property. If you have a loved one in this situation, call me, Estate Plan Stan at Prochowski Estate Law. From a little information, I will generate a written report explaining how much property we can protect. Don't go broke just because you require long-term care. Call me, 931-363-7222. 
The NASCAR Cup Series. Green flag is out. We're racing in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Returns to Richmond Raceway. Oh, look out, William Byron's around and into the outside wall. Byron gets clipped. As five weeks remain until the playoffs. Off for final time, and Kyle Larson has won here at Richmond. It's the Cookout 400. 1 p.m. Sunday, July 30th on WKOM 101.7 FM. It's time to put a Dodge in your garage. And at Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, you can count on us for all the muscle you need. We have a huge inventory to choose from, from the spine-tingling 2021 Dodge Charger SRT to the 2021 Dodge Challenger Superstock. You can even save time and buy online with our online shopping tool. Yep, at Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, we're flexing our Motor City muscle. You can count on us online at ColumbiaCDJR.com. Terry Tillis from Tillis Jewelry. Let's talk about antique versus vintage jewelry. Did you know antique jewelry is over 100 years old and vintage is 50 to 100 years? Tillis Jewelry, located downtown Columbia, has a wonderful collection from Georgian, Victorian, Edwardian, and Art Deco. We select every piece for their timeless beauty. Stop by and select your favorite piece. Jewelry to last a lifetime. Remember, Tillis Jewelry, your antique and vintage jewelry store. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the stair that only creaks when everyone else in the house is asleep. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. This is Trip Stoltz, owner and manager at Columbia Ace Hardware. We have changed our store hours to better serve our community. Columbia Ace Hardware is now open from 7 to 7, Monday through Friday, from 8 to 4 on Saturday, and closed on Sunday. Come see us at 112 East James Campbell Boulevard and let us show you customer service that can only be found at Columbia Ace Hardware. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Hello, this is John McEwen with McEwen Group Real Estate, located at 17A Public Square in beautiful downtown Columbia. Our family has over 40 years' experience selling farms, residential, recreational, and all types of real estate here in Middle Tennessee. Check us out online at McEwenGroup.com or on Facebook and Instagram at McEwen Group, or give me a call today at 931-628-1749. McEwen Group, land is your legacy. This is Big Lou Maddox, and you're listening to the best radio in southern Middle Tennessee. WKOM 101.7 FM, Columbia. Right. Hey, welcome back from the break. You're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning. I am your host, Estate Plan Stan. And just before the break, we were talking about uh, different categories of assets other than countable. And we were talking about this concept of unavailable assets. And I talked to you about the difference. Unavailable assets are like meaning you have joint ownership. And when you have joint ownership, 
you have to require the other owner's permission to liquidate in order for it to be available for the cost of care. And that's what we're talking about. Whenever we talk about an asset, we want to see if it's countable or not, because countable can mean available for the cost of care. So you may have a countable asset, but if you own it with someone else and the ownership structure requires the other owner's permission to sell, then there can't ever be any estate recovery. They can't make you sell that asset because it's unavailable to you. You, you lack the ability to sell it, to make it available. So, um, you know, that's what we're talking about. Now, we said that doesn't work for bank accounts, and I went to a lot of, over a lot before the break as to why that doesn't apply to bank accounts. But it can apply. Here's a classic example of where this applies. And that is a lot of times when you own an interest in an LLC. Now, if you own 100% of it, it's really not an issue. But if you own 50% of an LLC with you and your son or something like that, and it's, you know, maybe it's a valuable business. Okay, let's think of that. It's maybe it's a million-dollar business, and you own half of it, $500,000 interest. That's a valuable asset that you want to keep away from the cost of long-term care, right? So what we can do is we can take this asset and we can assign it you know, you can uh, uh, change the operating agreement. If it doesn't already say this, most operating agreements do. But if it doesn't, the people that run the LLC, you and whoever you're under with, can modify the agreement to say that no owner can sell their percent interest without the consent of the other owners. Like I said, if it doesn't say that, change it to make it say that. And now what that means is, uh, if you go in, you know, let's say I own 50% of a company, I go into the nursing home, they find out about it, and they say, hey, that's an asset of yours. We want you to sell that asset to pay us. Well, I go to the I go to the, the meeting, and I get up with the other owners, which may just be like my son, and I say, I need the consent of other owners for me to sell this so I can use the money to pay my long-term care. And the other, the other owner, if the other owner refuses to sell, then we have stopped them from using that that asset. It, it renders that asset unavailable. And if it's unavailable, it's not countable. I mean, it's a countable asset, but it's a countable asset that I can't get at. So if they say, sell that and pay us, uh, my response is, I don't have the capacity to sell it. I couldn't, if I wanted to do it, If I mean, I want to pay you, but I can't pay you because I can't sell. <clears throat> I don't have the authority to sell this. <coughs> I have to have the other's permission. <clears throat> And they refuse to give it. Now, it sounds like they're going to come down hard on the other owners, but no, they have no jurisdiction over that. They won't even contact the other owner. So, you know, it works good that way. Now, you can also do this unavailable asset with land. Okay, we can tie up ownership with land. But that gets a little tricky, and here's why. Don't, you don't run out. You know, if you're headed for the nursing home, let's say you know you're going there soon. Don't run out and start making everything joint ownership because let's take a piece of land, for example. If I have a piece of land, if I run out and give part of it to my son, then it's going to be considered a gift if I've done that in the last five years, right? But if I've done it more than five years ago, that makes it an unavailable asset. But I can't run out and make it that way at the last minute. The only thing I could do is have him purchase his half, okay? He could, If he bought his half, literally bought his half with his money, now I have a co-ownership. But 
But now it gets more confused because I have a, a co-ownership. Um, you know, we have to have in the deed somewhere that there's uh, refusal to sell. The theory works like this. During a state recovery, they can only recover an asset if they can sell it. So they, uh, you know, they um, we tie up the ownership and make it so we can't sell it. And the way we make it so we can't sell it is to require all the owners to sell. So, you know, how do you sell your half of a house that you own with your child? Like, let's say I own this house or this piece of real estate and my son owns the other half and I go to sell it. Who's going to buy it? I mean, I can try to sell it, but who's going to buy it? Who's going to buy half a house with my son? I mean, really, the only other person out there in the whole free market that would be interested in buying my half would be my son who owns the other half, right? Nobody else would want it. They don't know who my son is, what he wants to use it for. It's an undivided interest, meaning I can do whatever I want with it and my son can do whatever I want with it. Now, if somebody else is coming in as a third-party buyer, they don't know what my son wants to do with it and they don't know him from Adam. So why would they want to own a piece of property with somebody that they don't know from Adam and don't know what he plans on using for it? Uh, so it's it's very unmarketable. And we, if we do that right, we can set up and uh, set up this kind of co-ownership and make this asset unavailable. So it works in a, in a lot of different different scenarios. Uh, it it's kind of unique, but it you know it's a it's a it's a strategy that we can use that, in my opinion, works very well. Now you know a lot of times you see. A lot of this stuff is, you know, more so with the younger generation than you do with the older generation. Uh, I'm not sure why that is. Uh, I think it's more to avoid probate because it is a probate avoidance tool, right? Because if you own something with someone else, um, depending on, you know, especially if it's right of survivorship, then it, nothing goes through probate. If you own it as an undivided interest, then you have that ownership in it, and it's something that your estate, your your probate estate, can pass. If you don't have some sort of trust to, to avoid probate, so so in review, I mean that's the unavailable asset. There's uh, several other ways we can make it unavailable. I might go over some more examples uh, next week when we pick it up, but uh, that's another category other than countable. And if it's unavailable, it can't be countable because you can't get at it. Similar to the stuff we put in these asset protection trusts. Once you put in the asset protection trust, it's unavailable. But we're subject to the five-year look-back. But once we clear the five-year look-back, I mean, there's nothing you can do as far as converting that asset for payment. I mean, there's nothing you can do the day after you put it in the trust. Like I said earlier in the hour, that just makes it uh, – we just get penalized with the look-back period. So maybe next week I'll go over that very issue a little harder because the way those two things play together is is difficult. And I know it's hard to understand. So um, I apologize for that, but I, I just may need to thrash that out with a little more – a little more zealously, so we know and understand those are those are not the same thing. Being non-countable is not the same as being subject to the look-back rule, but the look-back rule can defeat our purpose of making something non-countable. So, all right, listen, I'm about out of time. Uh, I don't know where it all goes, but uh, I enjoy doing this. So, anyway, if you if what you heard this week has got your interest up, I'm glad. My mission is to get the message out, and when it comes to estate planning, hey man. You've got options. You have got lots and lots of options. 
And that's the mission. Get that message out. So if you have any questions about your own family circumstances, I'm more than happy to take the time to answer. Call me at 931-363-7222 or go to my website at estateplanstand.com. Set up one of my 15-minute phone calls. That way my time and attention is dedicated to your questions. Uh, Remember, doing nothing has a predictable result. And the next seminar coming up is July the 29th at 10 o'clock. That's a Saturday at the Star Theater, 105 North 1st Street in downtown Pulaski, Tennessee, right next to my office. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the show as much as I enjoy doing it. I'll be back on Front Porch Radio, WKOM 101.7, next Saturday night at 7 o'clock. For the next episode of Bulletproof Estate Planning, and I am Estate Plan Stan. See you next week. Murray County Volunteer Firefighters provide fire and rescue services to Murray County residents like you. I'm Savannah Madison, Public Information Officer with Murray County Fire. Our department serves over 600 square miles, and as a volunteer department, we rely on community donations to operate. You can also support by joining our department. We help you obtain the certifications to become a support member or firefighter. Learn more about making a tax-deductible donation or becoming a firefighter at murraycountyfiretn.org. That's murraycountyfiretn.org. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole bar. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. Hey, this is Derek Ransom with Ten Pin Alley, voted number one family entertainment center in Murray County. We offer 32 bowling lanes, giant arcade, laser tag, bumper cars, and a full cafe and bar menu. We also specialize in group events, kids and adult birthday parties, company parties, sports team parties, and holiday parties. We're located at 322 East James Campbell Boulevard in Columbia. Call us today at 931-381-BOWL or visit us at tenpin.com. Ten Pin Alley, it's where the good times roll. Throughout the country, buried pipelines are indicated by a pipeline right-of-way. A long, wide stretch of grass cleared of trees and marked with signs. If you have a right-of-way near your home, do not plant anything in it or dig in it. Do not install a fence or build your kids a super cool fort without first getting the pipeline operator's approval. For more on pipeline safety, visit pipesafety.org. A message from the Tennessee Gas Association, Tennessee Association of Broadcasters, and this station. We are the NFHS. That stands for the National Federation of State High School Associations. But really, what we stand for, together with the TSSAA, are the 109,000 high school sports students in Tennessee. 
And so we stand. We stand for the runners, soccer, and basketball players. We stand for their coaches, administrators, and officials. We stand for the swimmers, football players, and wrestlers. We stand for the golfers, softball players,